Paul's third pastoral epistle in the New Testament, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. It is believed Titus was written between the first two epistles and covers a lot of the same subjects that the other pastoral epistles cover, but in a shorter way. Uh, if you remember from a couple weeks ago when we introduced this book, Titus was a Gentile by birth, most likely brought to faith uh, through the ministry or life or preaching of the Apostle Paul. And according to verse 5 of our text, uh, Paul placed him or left him in Crete and gave him specific instructions as to what he was to do there in the churches. And the churches there in Crete had been established, but they needed oversight, they needed biblical leadership, they needed men to lead them so that they could remain doctrinally sound and provide guidance in facing the particular challenges that the people of Crete uh, were facing in their everyday life. And those challenges that were at Crete were no different than what they are tonight here in Lenore. They may be different in certain aspects, but the, uh, the very basis of them are still the same. We, we, are, we are individuals who sin. We are individuals who need God's direction, God's guidance. Churches need it, always have, and always will. And that is the thrust of this, of this epistle. I want to begin again this evening by reading in verse 1. We'll look at verse 1 through 5, but I want to read the first 16 verses of, the, of this epistle. There's three short chapters. We'll just look at chapter 1 tonight and then look at the thought of why Titus, why Paul left Titus in Crete. Verse 1 of Titus 1, Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, 
for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. We'll stop there this evening. It would benefit us, of course, to read the entire letter, but, of course, it would benefit us to read the entire Bible every time we open it, if we had time and ability to do that. But again, we come to the opening verses of the book of Titus, verse 1 through 5, record the salutation. We talked about that in the last message, the particular challenges that were before Titus as this young servant of God is left in charge by the Apostle Paul. Very clearly in verse 5, he is specifically to do two things. He is to set in order the things that are wanting, and then he is to ordain elders in every city. We'll be looking at those a little greater in greater detail. We'll touch on the first one just a few moments tonight, but then we're going to look at this ordaining of elders and how important that was and still is to the body of Christ. Leadership and guidance, men who are able to lead and men who are able to handle the Word of God. But we come tonight for this particular, to look at this particular phrase in verse 5, for this cause left I in Crete. Not only is that explained after he makes that statement, after the comma, then he tells specifically two reasons, but I think it also connects with what has been previously said in the opening words of this epistle. Now, the culture in Crete was, as I mentioned and read a while ago, marked by immoral ex excess. I mean, there was immorality, obviously, everywhere, ungodliness. Paul mentioned that in a few words in the opening verses. The Christians were described in verse 12 by one of their own poets uh, that they were always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. None of us would want to be characterized by that. Now that doesn't mean that every single person who was on the island of Crete was a liar. It doesn't mean that every single person on the island was lazy and gluttonous. But it does mean that that was characteristic of their background. That is who they were, and that is the dominant influence and characteristics of their lives and it is the task of Titus to preach and to teach sound doctrine to them now that they are saved. He mentions that in verse number 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. He's talking about one of the characteristics of the, of the elder. He is to uh, exhort them with sound doctrine in order that he may convince those that are, that are messing with error and teaching error and deceiving he mentions again in verse 13 that he is to rebuke sharply that people may be sound in the faith. 
We haven't gotten this far in our reading, but in chapter 2, he opens up, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. In verse 8 of chapter 2, he mentions sound speech. And so this theme is carried out, again, as it is in the first two epistles, the importance of the local church and the importance of them living and believing and teaching and preaching and embracing sound doctrine. Now, most people who are in church think that that's what they do. Whatever they were taught to believe, however they were raised, whatever uh, was presented to them, they assume that that is sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is not confirmed by how loud the preacher preaches something. Sound doctrine is confirmed by whether or not it is taught in the Word of God. Sound doctrine is not based on how many people or denominations of people embrace it and believe it. It is based upon whether or not the Word of God teaches it. Why is truth so important? Why is it necessary for a local church to have a clear and biblical statement of faith? And why is it necessary for the local church to hold its membership accountable to live out that truth? Well, Paul will answer that in this opening salutation that we'll look at again in a moment. If you remember, I mentioned last year in several messages in the series on the church that a biblical church is characterized by understanding, first of all, who we are in Christ. We're also characterized by understanding where we are. These believers were in Crete, and Crete had an effect upon them and their relationship to truth. We are in Caldwell County, and whatever is going on in Caldwell County has an effect upon what we believe and how we relate that to truth. Uh, one of the great illustrations, if you're living in the state of Utah tonight, it would be wise to know your doctrine. It would be wise to know what the Bible teaches about the person of Jesus Christ. If not, you would be easily raised and led uh, into Mormonism. So where you are has a big impact upon what you believe and how you believe it. It affects us, how we live. No matter whether we like it or not, it affects us. So a biblical church is characterized by who we are and where we are, and then it's characterized by why we are here. In the case of Titus, he is left here in order to keep this church, to ordain elders and to, to raise up leadership that will keep this church in line with sound doctrine, that will keep them sound in the faith, that will keep them pure and right in their relationship to God. A biblical church is also committed to expository preaching and teaching. In other words, taking the text and telling you what the text says, not reading into it, but taking the text and let the text speak for itself. Let the text tell you what the message is. It is not about me getting a thought on my mind. I hear preachers say this all the time. I've got a thought on my mind, and I'm going to Scripture to see if I can find a verse to back up what I'm thinking. Every time I've heard a preacher say that, he always finds a verse. Whether it's taken out of context or in context, he will always find a verse. As I've, you've heard me say before, if you want to preach a message on why you should take your life quickly, you can find verses. The Bible says that Judas went out and hanged himself. The Bible also says, Go and do thou likewise. And the Bible also says, Whatsoever thou doest, do quickly. You can, you can find verses for whatever you're wanting to do. But all of those were taken out of context. There needs to be preachers and elders and leaders in churches 
who will keep the church sound in the faith and sound in doctrine. And a biblical church must be committed to that. That must be priority over everything else that goes on in life. One of the most important priorities of the biblical church is to preach and teach sound doctrine. There's hundreds of passages I could read tonight, but I want to go back and pick up one we looked at in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing that was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Spirit which dwelleth in us. Paul is telling the young preacher, the young pastor Timothy, he's giving him direct words about what he ought to be doing as a young preacher, as he pastors the church there at Ephesus. And the charge that was given to me in 1976, the preachers who charged me, charged me to preach the Word. They charged me to take the Word of God and to expound the text, and to, and to preach to God's people. No one encouraged me or exhorted me to be an entertainer. No one exhorted me to find out or to learn how to manipulate a crowd and manipulate them. They charged me to preach the Word of God. In our text tonight in Titus, Paul is giving Titus the very same instructions he is, has given to Timothy and that the Word gives to every preacher and every elder in the church and that is that we have been left where we are. We are ministering where we are tonight in order to give them the Word of God. In verse 3 of Titus 1, it says that God has in these due times, He has manifested His Word through preaching. He has not manifested His Word through art. He's not manifested His Word through singing. He does not manifest His Word through entertainment. He manifests His Word through preaching. That's how He manifests His Word. I'm not saying those things don't have a place in other things. You can use them positively and beneficially. But when it comes to God manifesting His Word, it says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. God has manifested, God has brought, into, brought to light His Word through preaching. And He's committed that to Paul according to the commandment of God our Savior. And now Paul says, Titus, you're to do the very same thing there in Crete. Let's look at some preliminary reasons that Paul left Titus at Crete. Again, the very two clear reasons are in verse number 5. But the things I'm going to mention to you tonight, a couple of them, really kind of blend in with that first one that he set in order the things that are wanting. That word order, if you look at that word, setting in order, uh, it comes from and it's rooted in a couple words that you'll be familiar with. Uh, if you're familiar with the term with an orthopedic doctor, uh, if you're also familiar with an orthodontist, uh, both of them, one of them deals in big bones, the other one deals in small bones, but they, they basically do the same thing. They set or they fix or they repair things that are broken or things that are out of shape. That's where the root of that 
comes from set in order. Titus, I'm leaving you in Crete that you will be a spiritual orthodontist, that you will be a spiritual orthopedic surgeon, that you will find the things that are crooked or warped or the things that are broken, and you will take the Word of God that's been committed to you and you will preach that Word so that Word will fix those crooked things and straighten out those things and heal those things that are broken. If you've ever looked to your pastor to fix church problems, he can't do it. If you've ever looked at some leader in the church to mend relationships, if you've ever looked to any individual to fix those things on their own, they cannot do it. But those men who preach the Word in that church who relies and leans upon the Word of God can have everything broken fixed and can have everything that's twisted and warped. They can have it straightened through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. This Word works. I don't, I've never known anyone who broke a bone, who went to an orthopedic doctor, and they came back and go outside and play volleyball and said, He fixed it just like that. I'm doing well. I've never known anyone, and I'm one of those cases, that has had an orthodontist to put barbed wire in your mouth, and then you feel good about it the next day. If you've ever been there, you know just the touch of a spoon will make you cry out in pain. It takes time to fix those things. And listen, it takes time in a church. And how does that time, how is that time best spent? Through the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Preacher, why don't we teach here every Sunday? Preacher, why don't we preach here every Sunday? Why don't we have shindigs? And why don't we have this kind of stuff? And why don't we have that kind of stuff? Because those kind of things do not keep the church sound in their doctrine. It does not keep us sound in our faith. It does not keep us pure in our relationship to God. We are clean, Jesus said to His disciples. Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. The psalmist said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to the word of God. I've heard for years, if you get a, if you get a group of young people together who, are, who have a lot of needs and you do things with them and you entertain them and you do all this with them, their lives will come out living for Christ. That is not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches whether we're old, young, it doesn't matter what our age in life is. We are clean through the Word of God. And the only way to keep our life sound and clean is for us to stay under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. First of all, Paul has left Titus at Crete. And he's left him there to encourage these believers in their faith. Notice in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, we covered this in the last message, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice he's doing what he's doing according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. First of all, when Titus is going to minister there, he is going to encourage them in their faith. That's what Paul is actually doing in this letter that he's writing to Titus which more than likely would have been read to the churches there in Crete. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Notice Paul says here he was an apostle, and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, or he's an apostle, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of the elect, or for those who have been chosen of God. In other words, he's encouraging them in their faith. 
We are here tonight because we are His children. We, we have been born from above. We have been saved by His grace. And Paul uses one of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament, this word elect. It is one of the most beautiful words used throughout Scripture to, to describe those who have been chosen to salvation. That's what the word means. The word elect means chosen. If you have another English translation there, it may actually read chosen because that's what the word means. God's elect are those who are saved. It is those who have responded to God's call through the gospel. That's who we are called. We're called many things in Scripture. The bride of Christ. We are called the redeemed. We are, we are called a lot of names. And here is a beautiful one. He calls us the elect. And this, this word elect, it embodies a true balance between the divine activity of God and the human response that you and I made to God whenever He saved us. This word's surrounded with mystery. And although it's surrounded with mystery, it's surrounded with beauty. And the biblical teaching is to help us and encourage us in our faith. It assures the faithful, it assures the struggling believers that their salvation is all of God from the very beginning to the very end. It's all of His. I believe it was the prophet Jonah who said, Salvation is of the Lord. And he was exactly right. And salvation is of God from beginning to the end. Now I want to pause here for just a moment because this little phrase of God's elect sometimes causes God's people to get nervous. And you should not be nervous at all. I know there's been a lot of bad preaching or no preaching at all on this thing of being God's elect. Now let me just say this, Paul is not discussing the doctrine of election here in verse 1. He's not doing that here. He does that in Romans and other places. But here he is referring to those who have come to faith there at Crete, although they were a bunch of, bunch of liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies, these people have been saved by God's grace, and he is saying that he's a servant of God, and he's an apostle, he's a sent messenger of God, and he's that way because of the faith of God's elect, the faith of those that God has chosen to salvation. But people get nervous when they hear a preacher use this five-letter word. They get very nervous, and you shouldn't be nervous. In fact, you ought to rejoice. You ought to rejoice over it. The story of the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end is about God in His grace taking the initiative to seek out sinners who were not seeking Him. Every one of us in here tonight who were saved by God's grace, we weren't seeking God. We were looking away from God. But thank God He was seeking us. He came after us. You can go back to Genesis 17. There's Abram. Just minding his own ungodly business, living his own life. Knew nothing of Jehovah God or didn't want anything to do with God. And God chose Abraham. Or Abram at that time. God chose him. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And give Abram the very privileges and promises that he gives all throughout Scripture. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, 6. Speaking of Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 7, 6. And when you get to the New Testament, that same language continues. 
in the teaching and preaching of Jesus, and then in the teaching and preaching of the apostles. He's talking about those of us that have been chosen to salvation. He's talking about those of us who have believed because Christ has come to us and we responded in grace. He came to us in grace and we responded in faith that He gave us to believe Him and to trust Him for salvation. So don't be nervous when you see that word. Rejoice, thank God, that He has chosen to save. New Testament believers, we are... We are not redeemed on the basis of a sacrifice we made to God. We are redeemed on the basis of a sacrifice that God made for us. And He and He alone has chosen to do that. Since the title of this message tonight is Why Titus is Left in Crete, I think what I just said about Paul calling us God's elect is part of that reason and hopefully will justify me spending a few minutes on that subject tonight. It kind of makes my case because if you'll notice... According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth. That kindly goes together there. What he's saying is God's people, those that God has called, those that God has chosen, those that He calls His elect are people who acknowledge the truth. We see the truth about who we are and who Christ is. And that is so very important. When you remove sound doctrine out of a church... The first thing that happens is men begin to see themselves in their own light and they begin to turn the light down on who God really is. And that's why it's important. Election is a biblical doctrine. It's an essential doctrine. It's a practical doctrine. And Paul is saying to Titus here, when Satan and his false teachers and these in verse 9 and 10, these unruly, vain talkers and, and these that are running their mouth in verse 11 who, who take in whole households teaching things which they ought not for money's sake. That's going to be all over the island of Crete. And when false teachers and false prophets, when they begin to throw around what they think and what they believe, thank God it's a blessing to know tonight that I belong to Him I am His because He has saved me by His marvelous grace. And the only way you can know that tonight is through acknowledging the truth. In other words, seeing the truth of God's precious Word. That's what gives us assurance. That's what gives us hope. Brother, when Satan and his his emissaries or his false teachers, when they begin to throw their stuff out there, The believer comes back and knows tonight that we have been chosen of God. We have been called out. Abram was no different than the rest of the pagans in the world. What made him different was the calling of God upon his life. And same with you and I. And it's all because of God's grace. Listen to this encouraging verse about being God's elect. Listen to Romans 8.33. Who shall lay anything to the charge... Of God's elect. Isn't that great? I, I came up, I came up, and I would often hear preachers say, if you ever doubt your salvation, take the devil back and rub his nose in the altar or rub his nose in the place wherever you got saved. That sounded good, that got amens and hallelujahs and everything else. The only problem with that is nowhere in the Bible are you told to do that. Nowhere in the Bible are you told to do that. Look at the text. We acknowledge truth. What is the truth of our assurance tonight? That God chose us in His Son 
and that we are saved. That's the truth. That's because that's what the Word of God says. And that's where we have assurance tonight. My assurance is not in any any choice I make about anything. Looking at my record of choices, I don't have a good record. I may, I may hit something, luckily hit something right every now and then. But thank God, when God sent His Son, and when God provided for us a salvation, that's where our assurance lays tonight. That is the truth. That is the sound doctrine upon which Paul wants Titus to keep these Christians in line. So we tonight, we should be encouraged in our faith. Secondly, he mentions this statement. He was an apostle for the acknowledging of the truth which is according to godliness. Paul was a servant and an apostle of Jesus to a called out people of God to teach them the truth. And when that is done, it results in godliness that's what he's saying in verse number one and the reason i'm kind of camping right here is this these verses are loaded with doctrine this salutation is just saturated with doctrine with truth you got the servanthood you've got apostleship you've got faith you've got god's elect you've got truth you've got godliness you've got eternal life You've got the character of God referenced, God that cannot lie. You've got the promises of God mentioned. You've got the preaching of the Word of God mentioned in verse number 3. This is just saturated with biblical doctrine, and that is the truth that Titus is to teach and preach and to hold fast there on the island of Crete. In other words, Paul's ministry is saying, Paul's saying, my ministry was aimed at both salvation... And then my, my ministry was aimed at sanctification of, of God's people. Paul's telling us why truth matters, why theology matters, why doctrine matters, why biblical instruction matters. Why is biblical teaching so important? Because if you look at verse 1, the acknowledging of truth leads to godliness. When someone acknowledges the truth of God's Word, it leads to godliness. Now let me ask you this question. Do you reckon part of the ungodliness that we have among professing believers tonight could simply be because they are not acknowledging the truth of God? If that's the case, then why are they not acknowledging it? Either they are hearing it and rejecting it, or in some cases, they're not hearing it. They're hearing more legalism preached than there are truth. The preacher says five things you can do, six things you shouldn't do, four things if you do, you get thrown out and all this stuff. And so godliness never comes from acknowledging the rules of man. It never does. Legalism has never, never, and will never produce godliness. It is only the truth of God's Word. Jesus said in His high priestly prayer to the Father, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Paul is telling us truth is according to godliness, or it's unto godliness. According to right there in that passage, or the acknowledging of the truth is the little preposition that means that's the goal. That's the goal or the purpose of truth is to move us toward godliness. And the truth here is the gospel. And godliness that he's talking about here is a right attitude and response toward God. God's very purpose for electing us, God's very purpose for choosing us, is that He could give us truth through preaching and teaching and the Word. And that truth would result in our godliness. That truth would result in us becoming more like Him 
and living in His image. I'm afraid among many Baptists, even some that I've been a part of, had the goal of making their church believe exactly like the preacher believed, having their church dress exactly like the preacher dressed, having their church watch and listen to exactly the things the preacher said we should watch and listen to. That is not the goal here at West Lenore. The goal here at West Lenore is this. Once you realize that by faith you are in Christ, then you acknowledge the truth. You acknowledge the truth. You receive the truth. And that truth produces a godliness that is honoring and glorifying to God. And that truth is found in the gospel. That truth is not in legalistic preaching, but that truth is found in the gospel. You see, the evidence of our election is found in our justification. The evidence of our justification is found in our sanctification. And one day the evidence of us being sanctified will be manifested in our glorification. That's what Paul is saying. These are the things that Titus is to teach and preach. That's the reason that we'll look at on the next time we're together on Sunday evening. We'll look at why we need elders, why we need men, why we need ordained men to lead in the local church who will teach those things. The very things that Paul is saying to Titus. That's why we need that leadership. Thirdly and finally, he says not only is he encouraging them in their faith, as the elect of God. And not only is he telling and stressing the acknowledging of truth, which will lead them to godliness, but he is saying all of this is in the hope of eternal life. Paul is not just concerned about building up the faith of those in, in Crete. He's not only concerned to build them up in truth and have them acknowledge them and then them live godly, but he's saying when you do that, what does that do? That gives you hope of eternal life. Do you know how many people are sitting tonight in Caldwell County and a large portion of them have their names on our membership roll here who have not been in church in decades? And if you were to go ask them tonight if they were going to heaven that we sang about this morning when they die, they would say, well, I, yes, I am because I made a profession of faith. I made a choice back way down yonder that, wasn't, that I didn't live or stay with two months after I made it. But I'm hoping that I'm going to heaven based on that. And there's been no evidence of acknowledging truth. There's been no evidence of that truth leading to my godliness. There's been no evidence of that godliness helping me have hope of eternal life. Why do we have hope tonight? We have hope because of the precious Word of God. In hope of eternal life. The words in hope of, I think, can best be understood in view of. Paul's thinking here is that all of his ministry, all of his ministry as a servant, as an apostle, as one of God's chosen, as one who acknowledges truth, as one who lets that truth lead him to godliness, all of that he does in view of eternal life. In other words, I'm living it and I'm doing it because of eternal life. The hope we have tonight was promised to God's elect, God's chosen, those of us who have been saved tonight. And according to the Word of God, we were, we were saved from eternity past. Now, it had to work out here, and we had to believe and repent and all of that. That don't eliminate our human responsibility. 
Listen to 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This is why Titus was left in Crete. And this is why churches need pastors, and why churches need elders, why churches need leadership that is strong in the faith and that is committed to the Word of God in teaching it and preaching it. You can hire anybody. A pastor could hire any, anybody. I, I, could, I could go on the long line in the morning and hire men, young men. I could bring in... I could bring in whatever and whoever, and before you know it, uh, there'd be young people in here wall to wall. There'd be, there'd be senior citizens in here with sausage gravy on their breath every morning. You, you could can, you can do whatever you want to do. But according to this, that is not why we're here. I'm not against young people being here, and I'm certainly not against sausage gravy. But what makes a difference in people's lives is the Word of God, truth acknowledged, truth that leads to godliness, that produces in us a hope, a certainty of eternal life. Well, I didn't get far tonight, just the first couple verses, but Paul explains something of the importance of doctrine. One reason Titus is left in Crete is to help see that, it is that church, those churches are filled with members who love truth, who know it's important, whose lives are being changed by it because the truth is unto godliness. And that's what we aim for here at Western Orr. We aim for that. Lord willing, our next time together, we'll look more at those closing reasons to set in order, and then we'll begin down that line of ordaining elders. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful tonight for the privilege to be here. Thank you for the attention of your people. Thank you for the truth of your word tonight. Lord, we are thankful for the apostle. Lord, thank you for his servanthood to God, his apostleship to Christ. Thank you for his investment in the life of Titus. Lord, his testimony and preaching no doubt led to this man's salvation, as the epistles that he wrote has led to many salvation because we read his writings inspired of God and we know that we're sinners, and we know that you came to save us. But Lord, I pray as we think about Titus and about Crete, that we'd also think about us and our church and our city and our people and where we are. Help us to think about what we think is godliness that may just be a living out of tradition. Help us to think about it in line with truth. And Lord, I do rejoice tonight for... Your choosing. Lord, thank you for choosing Abram, who didn't deserve it. Thank you for choosing us tonight, who did not deserve it. Lord, it's all of your grace, and we thank you for that tonight. You're holy and righteous in all that you do. So help us to be encouraged in our faith, and help us to be growing in our faith, and being sanctified in our faith. And I pray as we work through this pastoral epistle that you would raise up men in this church. Lord, elders, leaders in the days to come, whose sole burden and purpose would be that we remain faithful to the Word, that the gospel continue to be preached. And Lord, that nothing of truth would die with any individual, but Lord, it would 
continue to reproduce. Thank you for what you're doing in lives for those you're saving. Thank you for what you're doing in our families and homes. And I pray you'd continue to do it for your glory and for your honor. Now, Lord, thank you again for this day. Do help those in our church unable to be with us tonight. I pray you'd strengthen them and help them. We pray for those that are facing treatments and those that are recovering, those that are uh, homebound tonight and unable to be here that would be here worshiping. I pray you'd encourage them and strengthen them in the Lord. And just thank you again for being a part of your family and your good grace. We love you, Lord, and thank you for all you've done for us. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.